0: came across a statement the other day. Um, the statement seeks to highlight uh, stories and how, uh, how powerful stories are, right? how they can pry open our hearts and, and connect us, really connect with us, connect to us in ways that factual statements really don't. And, and, and so the statement was from... Uh, um, A woman named Claire Patey, and she says it this way She says, when a story catches our attention and engages us, we are more likely to absorb the message and meaning within it than if the same message was presented simply in facts and figures. And she doesn't just make that statement, she has kind of devoted her life to that type of thing. Um, She created something called the Empathy Museum. Um, th- th- this is a traveling museum, and the main exhibit of the Empathy Museum is something called A Mile in My Shoes. So I don't know if you've ever seen this before or not, but, but the exhibit is essentially a shipping container that is made to look like a giant shoebox. And so the exhibit invites visitors to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, literally. And so what happens is you go inside this giant shoebox and you're given the shoes of somebody that you've never met. You put those shoes on and you walk around in them. And while you're, while you're doing that, you put on headphones and you listen to them tell their story. Um, stories include someone who is a Syrian refugee, someone who's been caught in prostitution, uh, a war veteran, a neurosurgeon, and, and, and many, many others. And so if you think about it, I could stand up here this morning and tell you that, that a Syrian refugee, for example, that they've had some really difficult times in their life. They've faced situations and hardships that, that you and I could probably never imagine. And, and if I did that, if I stood up here and said those factual statements, you'd probably walk out these doors and quickly forget what I said. All right, I'm a realist. I get it. That's how it would happen, right? But, but if someone who really is a Syrian refugee stands before us and tells you their story, and you can hear the pain and the heartache and the longing in their voice, right? Right? That would change everything. And for this exhibit, if you could hear that in your ears, especially while you're walking around in their actual shoes, you wouldn't be quick to forget their plight. Stories just have this way of connecting with us and affecting us in ways that simple statements just don't. God knows this. He knows this about us. I mean, he created us after all. He made us that way. And, and I think for that reason, he inspired the author of Psalm 107 to utilize story to connect with us. And, and when it comes to Psalm 107, four specific stories. So I could summarize Psalm 107 this morning by stating the truth from the end of verse 1 his steadfast love endures forever. Forever, I can stand here, I can say that, and, and by doing so, I've just given you the main point of the entire psalm. God's steadfast love endures forever. But while that statement is true, if there's no story to connect it to, we'd walk out these doors and probably quickly forget that truth. But if that truth connects to a story, it becomes captivating. It becomes something that we long for. And so we're going to see that as we go through Psalm 107 this morning. But before we start through it, just kind of a few notes of background. You might see in your Bible that Psalm 107 is the first psalm of book five in the book of Psalms. So book 5 is a collection of books that have, as their context, many believe, the exiled people of Israel returning to Jerusalem after they've been in Babylon for those 70 years. So the first singers of these psalms knew hardship. They'd been in exile. They knew hardship. They knew suffering. They knew discipline. They knew humility, as we'll see as we go through this psalm. And these exiles were maybe returning to Jerusalem, perhaps wondering if they'd blown it for good. I mean, does the God who sent the Babylonians to destroy their city and take them away, does he still love them? Can forgiveness and deliverance be found in him? I mean, I think those are questions that those exile, returning exiles would have asked, maybe Similar questions that we ask ourselves in difficult situations. And when we think about the context of Psalm 107, even though it's in a different book of Psalms, it still starts Book 5 and comes after Psalm 106 on purpose. So in Psalm 106, oddly enough, it starts the same as Psalm 107. Psalm 106 starts by saying, Give thanks to the Lord. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. But what's different from from 107 is that Psalm 106 goes on from there to focus almost exclusively upon the ways that Israel had rejected God. So it starts with this wonderful statement about God's steadfast love, but then it talks about the sins of the Israelite ancestors. It talks about the ancestors in Egypt who ignored God talks about the rebellion of those whom God led out of Egypt in the Exodus. talks about the golden calf they created. talks about the, their failure to trust God to give them the promised land when they arrived at the edge of It talks about their worship of the false god Baal. It talks about their participation in child sacrifice. It talks about God's anger being kindled against them and his sending their enemies to defeat them and take them away into exile. I mean, such an uplifting psalm, let me tell you, 106. So it starts with God's steadfast love, but then it talks really about the Israelites not having steadfast love for God. And so the question remains, after reading Psalm 106, man, uh, does his steadfast love really endure forever? After this whole litany of things that is listed about the Israelites— Does his steadfast love still endure, even in that context? And what Psalm 107 then goes on to do is to say yes. But not just say yes, to give examples and to give stories of God's steadfast love enduring. So look with me at chapter 107, and we'll start by looking at the introduction to the stories, those first three verses. And it says this, starting in verse one, "O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south." And so as I said, the first verse of the psalm states the fact that it is as true today as it was then. And it's as true today as it's ever going to be in the future. God is good and his steadfast love does endure forever. You can't make a truer statement than that. But again, rather than just speak that truth to a group of people who were probably questioning its validity, the psalmist went on to command those who've been redeemed by the Lord those who've been redeemed from trouble, who've seen God's steadfast love firsthand in their lives, he says, you need to say so. You need to tell about it. You need to connect that truth to not just any story, but your story. And so that's, that's what happens then. Those, those, there were those exiles who were able to proclaim God's steadfast love based on their experience, and they would go on to do that. You know, you know we, we, we talked a few weeks ago about how God is the king who reigns on his throne. And and when the message about his reign needs to go out to the world, who better to proclaim it than his people who know him intimately? And it's the same concept here. When God's steadfast love comes into question, who better to affirm it than those who know it intimately? those who've seen it in their lives and can connect it with their story. And so it's at this point that the psalmist communicates four stories. They are all similarly structured, but they're all different situations, different accounts of God's steadfast love on display. So look with me at the first story that starts in verse 4 says some wandered in desert wastes finding no way to a city to dwell in hungry and thirsty their soul fainted within them then they cried to the lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in let them thank the lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So in the first story here, there's, the, there's a person who is hungry and lost. They're hungry and they're lost. They're wandering around in the desert, far away from, from any settlement and the life-giving support that you would find there. Now, the question is, uh, you know, is this a specific story? We're not given a name or a specific situation. I think it probably is. It's probably an example of a specific story from someone sharing, you know, maybe they were physically wandering in the desert waste. Uh, I think simultaneously, we're supposed to think back to Israel's history, wandering in the desert for those 40 years. I mean, their ancestors could connect very closely to that story. So there's that, that physical aspect of it for sure, but there's also the spiritual component to this story. We can be spiritually wandering, spiritually lost and hungry, and, and you really see that in verse nine with the conclusion of it where God satisfies the longing soul, right? Not just the longing stomach, but the longing soul. You know, it's, it's in... It's in those times where it might seem like God is nowhere to be found, might seem like he's uh, perhaps ignoring us, or or our soul may be just so depleted and dry that we're ready to faint, much less give praise to God. And it's in those times when we're lost and we're hungry and we, we might question God's love for us and we wonder, what should we do? We can think back to this story In verse 6, specifically, you know, in the midst of that wandering and hunger and thirst and being ready to faint, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Crying out to the Lord. It might take every bit of faith within us that we have left, but we ought to cry out to the only one who can save us. In verse 6, testifies that what happens is God delivers us when we do that verse 7 goes on and says you know we'll be led in the straight way verse 9 talks about our the longings of our soul being satisfied our hungry soul being filled with good things now you notice in here that it's not a promise that the desert disappears that's what we want sometimes isn't it but that promise doesn't reside in this story what we are promised is that we'll be led on the straight path through the desert and we'll be filled in the midst of, of that until we finally do reach the city that's, uh, that's talked about here. And, and those who were once hungry and lost can attest to that fact. And they ought to do so, verse 8 says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. The ones who've walked through the desert and seen God meet their needs and lead them through it ought to stand up and say, God is loving. His love is steadfast. His works are wondrous. So what we see in this story, the first story of our four, is that God's steadfast love is shown to be real. It's not just a concept, but it's shown to be real when the hungry and lost are given provision and direction through the desert. But again, that's just story number one. That's one person's experience. Story number two follows the same structure, but it gives us a completely different situation. So look with me at verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their heads, their hearts, down with hard labor. They fell down, with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, and for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze. And cuts into the bars of iron. Now all four of these stories are meant to be read in conjunction with one another and compared with one another to see the similarities and the differences. So, so this time, the one in the story is imprisoned and is, uh, or was, rebellious against God. Their, their captivity is not just something trite, it's an imprisonment that brought them to the shadow of death, as they state. And on top of that, their imprisonment was the result of their rebellion, right? I mean, we we see in verse 11, they had rebelled against God and his words. They'd heard the words of God. They knew what his counsel was, but they rejected it in favor of rebellion. So we think about the first story in that situation. We're not told why the person was lost in the desert. We really don't know. But here, we, we have no doubt why this person is imprisoned. They've rebelled against God. And, and not only that, but we're told that their imprisonment and their slavery was given by God in order to foster an attitude of humility in, in place of that pride that was running rampant within them. God is disciplining the person in this second story, but, but it's not out of vengeance and it's not out of spite His discipline is an act of love that's intended to lead to repentance, and it it reminds me of the statement made in Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read for you what the writer of Hebrews says there. He says, "'My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives.'" But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So, again, just reaffirming that God disciplines us for our good, that we might return to him, that we might share in his holiness. And, and we know his discipline works, not just because of the factual statement, right? But because of the story that we're reading. Because someone says, yes, I was imprisoned, and I was rebellious, and, and my heart had been bowed down low, and it led him to the same place as the person in the first story, right? To call out to the Lord. And God responded as he did in the first story responded in the same way delivering that person from their distress they, they they were brought out of darkness their bonds of imprisonment were burst apart and they were shattered in place of their prideful rebellion through discipline they were given that humble attitude of repentance again it's not it's not just a concept at this point it's this person's story I say yeah Hebrews 12 talks about discipline but Here's my story of how it played out in my life. And just like the first story, they ought to thank God for his steadfast love and his wondrous works. So what we see through this person's story is that God's steadfast love is real, and it's shown to be real when the imprisoned and rebellious are given freedom and humility. That's that person's story. And then story number three is different from the first two. Look at number three in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving And tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So when I think about this story compared to the second story, uh, in story number two, the person had rebelled against God even though they knew his words. But we're not given that indication here with the third story. Uh, I mean, he talks about being a fool. I mean, the, the person probably didn't know God's words and counsel. Now, they were still suffering from their sinfulness, right? They're sinful ways, and there's a good reminder in there that we don't have to know the truth to suffer from our, from our sins from when we walk away from God. God has created the world in such a way that, that when we follow his ways, when we strive for obedience to him, we're going to be much better off than if we did not that's how he is created to work. And I'm not talking about obedience that leads to money and long life. We're not talking health and wealth gospel here. We're we're talking about obedience that leads to fulfillment. Fulfillment and and satisfaction that can't be found anywhere else no matter how vigorously we search for it and pursue it. And it seems that in this story that the person's sinful ways led them to a place of extreme dissatisfaction, Uh, They even loathed food, the the one thing that every healthy person has a strong desire to receive. This person loathed it. They, 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 you know, they're honest. They found sinfulness to be empty and lacking, just as all who've ever taken that path can attest. But just like in the other two stories, they too cried out to the Lord, and they found deliverance from their distress. God sent his word to them and, and showed them the error of their sin. And along with God's word came healing and, and gratitude that overflowed in that person in, in sacrifices of thanksgiving. And so again, that just like before, this person ought to thank God for his steadfast love and his wondrous works. Different stories from the first two, but still God's love on display. And so they ought to thank him. And so yet one more time, God's steadfast love isn't just a concept, but it's shown to be real when the sinful and dissatisfied are given healing and gratitude in their hearts. You're getting the theme, right? We're seeing how this is unfolding. Well, there's one more story yet, number four. And yet again, it's different from the previous three. So look at verse 23 with me. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, for they saw the deeds of the Lord for his wondrous, uh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end, So in this fourth story, it's a metaphor of ships on a stormy sea, and it seems like the person's just going about their life, doing business. They're even familiar with the wondrous works of God. And the other three stories, the people only came to recognize that after they'd gone through pain and suffering, but this person seems to know about it beforehand. But even though that was the case for them, the storm still came. And the waves reached up to the heavens and down to the depths, and and, and the person was brought to a place of reeling and and staggering like a drunken man, as it says. They were at their wit's end. The the, the storm was so severe that the person was left storm-tossed and weary. And and again, you know, maybe we can can relate to that, not on a literal sea and a literal ship, but being tossed. In, in life. The the wind is howling and waves are crashing and we're seasick and tired and we might ask, is there any hope in that situation? And again, rather than just conceptually saying, Yes, there is, this person tells their story because just like before they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and just like before the Lord delivered them from their distress. The Almighty God stilled the storm and, and hushed the waves. And in the quiet waters, the person was brought to their desired haven, their, their, their long for destination. They, they got there. And again, just like before, that person, too, is told to thank God for his steadfast love and his wondrous works. And so with the fourth story, we see that God's steadfast love isn't just conceptual, but that it's shown to be real when the storm-tossed and the weary are given peace and rest. Stories are, are powerful. Here we've got four stories. We've got four declarations that indeed the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Can you imagine a group of exiles coming back to Jerusalem, Wondering, God, is God's steadfast love real? And four people being able to stand up and say, well, let me tell you a story that yes, yes, it is. I mean, these are four powerful stories speaking of four different situations. And the exiles then needed to hear them. And we need to hear them as well because we're story people as well. We connect with stories just like they did then. But these aren't the only stories that we need to hear because these are still a little bit conceptual, right? There's no names connected to these. We can't, we can't hear the voice of the person telling it. I mean, these are important and they speak truth, but there's still some disconnect, right? The, the command from back in verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord speak about God's steadfast love. That's not just a command for then. That's a command for us now as well. And so, Pastor Tim said earlier, we're, we're kind of moving the time of personal mission moment. You have a chance now, today, to, to say so, as verse 2 says, to speak of the steadfast love of God by telling your story, or at least a portion of your story, right? I mean, we got to recognize, we've got to give other people a time to share, but sharing a portion of your story. And so so what we're going to do is I've got, uh, I've got one person lined up ready to go. I figure it's always good to have the ice be broken, right? And so I've got one person ready to share their story. And just like before, uh, Aaron will bring the, the microphone around. You can stand up where you are and, and share your story. But the, uh, Jeff Scheid's going to go first, and then he'll share his story. And then after him, um, it's open to, to the rest of us to to do what we're talking about here, to say God's love is steadfast, and let me tell you why I know that to be true. So you want to go ahead, Jeff, and start us off? Well,
1: when Pastor Aaron asked me to do this, uh, when, where God's steadfast love uh, was apparent in my life, I asked him, uh, how many hours do I have? And he said, two to three minutes. So, um, I'll keep it short. But the one story that I have to relate is um, basically how I became a Christian. Uh, I was born and raised in a Christian family. My mother was a Sunday school teacher for years. And, uh, but my father died when I was very young, and my nearest sibling was my brother, who's eight years older than I am. So by the time I got to high school, there wasn't a strong disciplinary uh, influence on my life and I rebelled basically against God in in my high school days. And um, I met Patty while we were in high school and uh, when we decided to get married, uh, we got married in a Catholic church and I was forced to uh, go through premarital counseling uh, with a priest and so that was my first drawback and into uh, being in in the Christian place of uh, that time. And so after we got married, I actually felt drawn to go back to the church where uh, I was raised. And we started switching, going back and forth to churches. And God continued to bring people into my lives, co-workers, uh, friends that I'd had way back that I had witnessed that were not very... Christian-like in their, their attitudes and their actions, and they you know, became born-again believers. And um, so they all kind of witnessed to me, and I was really feeling like I wanted to get back into that, but I hadn't been saved yet. And then I started having severe dizzy spells, and uh, I was very concerned that I had like a brain tumor or something to that extent and um so they uh, did a cat scan and they didn't find anything there isn't that something and uh, <laughs> so but uh, you know thank god it wasn't that and i finally they finally uh determined that uh i had uh, uh it's called menieres disease and so it was affecting my balance and all that but throughout that whole process I mean, I, it was just like somebody hitting the back of the head at a dizzy was horrible. And I just felt like, you know, I need to confess, Lord is my Savior. And, and so it, before they had determined what that was, I went and saw uh, our pastor. And uh, I told him, you know, I want to be saved and I, I want to get baptized immediately. And they they arranged for me to have my own baptism a week later. And from that point on, you know, things got better. So I just, I just look at God was you know, loved me through that whole process. He knew where I was at, and he found ways, uh, like Aaron said, through discipline. And that's happened on and on and on in my life that when I start to stray, something will happen, and then it makes me more reliant on
0: God. Well, in between each story, I want us to respond just like the four stories in Psalm 107 challenge us to respond. So, Jacob, can you put that statement? There it is. So we're just going to read this statement together. All right, so go ahead and read it with me. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Someone else like to share their story of God's steadfast love?
2: So as summers happen, everyone goes on family vacations, or at least some do, and I shouldn't say everyone, but uh, for since we've been married, my family has been able to go on a family vacation together. So I have three older brothers. One lives in California, and two live around here, one in Gridley and one in Bloomington. And every family has situations, every family has a little dysfunction. Every family has rifts and struggles they go through. Um, But as I had my week, or as we had our week in Table Rock, and um, you talk through situations of your family and struggles that you have, um, it's just, to me, it's such a blessing that we are able for, we've been married 18 years, so for 18 years, all my brothers, my mom and dad, And now um, 13 cousins and grandkids and nieces and nephews get to spend a week together. And even though during that week there's still times of struggles or we get on each other's nerves, um, it's just, um, I'm just so thankful that my mom and dad make a point to make sure my family always gets together together. And it's just a week of uh, memories being made, and so I just thank God and uh, for that that those memories, and I hope that they, they happen for years to come. But as the two oldest nieces and nephews are seniors in high school, and they're going to be starting their own ways of life, and my kids and other kids come up, I know that it won't always maybe be everyone together. But just those times that we all can re- cherish and Just remember um, those family times together, I think, are so important. So I just wanted to stress that today.
0: Let's read those words together again. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man.
3: with you all today Uh, i'm ebby's father my wife here with me so we kind of don't fit here as hillbillies but uh, uh god's steadfast love has been real real to us in the last two weeks if you kept up with the news you're aware that we had a big flood the worst ever in our 60 some years of marriage and so our children said we ought to leave for a couple of weeks because we had no power. And so it was been uncomfortable with no electricity, no phone service, no internet, no TV, no radio, no communication. But we've been blessed in that verse in Isaiah 41, 10, where God said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee. I will strengthen thee. I'll uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And so that's our anchor right now. But anyway, uh, some of you have been praying for us. Jim and uh, Marvin and my son came to clean out our house, which was swamped with water, and uh, we lost a whole host of stuff. But they were so kind of piled all up, and I hope nobody has to look at it because it's a big pile. But it's just stuff. And we were reminded that stuff do not matter. We had people die on either side of us that we were drowned in the waters, and that was so sad. And our friends that died, and they're still trying to find some, they haven't been recovered, but we were spared, and God's been so good to us. So we just praise the Lord this morning that Jim and Eva were kind enough to let us. Come fetch us and we'll stay for a couple of weeks till our electricity comes back and we can live normal lives again. But God's good. We bless him for that. Wouldn't want to complain at all because it's just stuff in this life. It's going to be left behind anyway when we die. So we just had a first step toward that.
0: Yeah, Isaiah 41.10 is a statement. right? a concept, a true concept, but here connected to story, we can proclaim it's, Truthfulness, right? So let's do that again by reading those words. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man.
4: Hey everybody, Uh, so we had the the St. Jude run yesterday. And uh, being one of the coordinators of the Eureka chapter of that I kind of had the you know, an inside view of uh, of all that leading up to it. And so the, the Eureka chapter, um, for just a little bit of context, we had a very specific um, and really big goal uh, for this year that we worked really hard at for a year. And about four days before the run, uh, looking at all the numbers um, and pr- pulling it all together, looking at all the history, uh, decided that it probably just wasn't we just weren't going to make it, um, you know, we, you know, we were driving to this goal and it just wasn't, probably just wasn't going to happen. Um, so I ended up, you know, found myself in prayer and it was probably one of the more humbling prayers I've ever uh, experienced. Um, the the very short, simple version of it was kind of a two-parter. Uh, it was, you know, for me to be able to accept the fact that, uh, you know, I couldn't do it, <laughs> you know, because there's something to, when you work really, really, really hard at something and you, you just can't do it, right? Um, so that was tough. Uh, so some of, you know, the first half of the prayer was just helping me, um, you know, accept that fact that um just, just couldn't do it. And the second part was, uh, you know, but if you happen to be inclined to deliver a miracle on this thing, uh, that's the only way it could happen. I don't see how it's possible, but, you know, if you don't mind, um, so, anyway, our our, uh, our ultimate goal was uh, we we needed to raise $154,000 coming out of Eureka uh, to make it to a million from the inception of our run, which was kind of what our, our whole theme was for the year. And uh, those last few days, I've just, I've never seen anything like it. The money came in so fast, I couldn't count it um, quickly enough. And, and ultimately, our total was 171000 So so, um, you know, I guess sometimes when you ask for a miracle, you, you get it.
0: Let's proclaim it together again. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. I won't call any individual out, but I will call out a side. We've had a few from over here. Anyone else like to like to share? See, we got all I got to do is ask, right? And there we go.
5: So as some of you may or may not know, on um, May 14th, I had a stroke in my right eye. And that left me partially um, lost of sight. But um, through that, it's nothing that I would have chose or wanted to happen. But God has still allowed me to have full sight in my left eye. And I can see shapes and uh, some out of my right eye. And uh, so I I partially know, I think, what... Uh, he wanted me to have full focus on Him, whether I have uh, sight or if I would go totally blind, I can still see or have focus on my God, my Savior. So like I say, it wasn't anything that I would have chose to happen that he is still directs my path he still knows my future and what he has in store for me but i praise him that i still have one good eye and one partial that uh, i can see some stuff through so it's still great and praise him for his love and and care over us
0: Proclaim it with me. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man.
6: Sorry. I'm a mom getting ready to send her son off to college. But I'm thankful to, for the last almost 20 years, that men and I have been coming here, be raising our family in a church with you all because you've poured into my kids. You've taught them Sunday school. You've taught them youth group. You've gone out of your way to make meals for us. You've prayed for us. And I know that as I say goodbye next week, um, the Lord has him. The Lord has him because he's chosen to live his life that way. And as hard as it's going to be, and also to watch my senior daughter do the same thing, um, I know that he knows that as trials come in his life, God is going to be his way through. And he's seen that here in our church as we've rallied around the Cernics, and the Sears, and the Terhunes, and so many other families. He's seen God's love through the trials be poured out. And so I'm just very, very thankful for this church family that we have.
0: Say it again. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Someone else like to share?
7: Um. I'm going to probably hate these somewhat for the next number of months uh, as it just seems so clear to us that God is working um, very much in our, in our family. <laughs> um, so just thinking about God giving us rest and peace and, and even um, I've been told that some people asked if we were ever angry and I can tell you we were. <laughs> um, but uh, just seeing God really change that Um, supernaturally. Uh, It isn't natural. Sam and I continue to ask each other how people would make it through um, loss like this without Christ, without uh, God and without a community of of believers to to support them. Um, And one of the the biggest things God has given uh, me and and then vicariously Sam through me as well uh, is just the concept that Christian didn't run a partial race. Uh, his two and a half years weren't cut short in our sense of thinking of eighty years god God knew how many days he was going to be here and and used his race to affect all of us here, especially i mean our family but uh just um, it's just been really comforting and, and putting one foot in front of the other again we just we we don't see a way forward without god and it's just been so moving in our family and our children and and as we um, progress forward again, one step at a time. We know that God's right there with us, and he's just shown himself to be so clearly, clearly present um, with each step.
0: Say it with me. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man.
8: Um, I'm going to talk about now, uh, give a testimony to the, you might say, the end of life uh, blessings because my mom, as you know, is 92 and she's doing really well and she moved one year ago to uh, independent living. So she's meeting a whole new group of people there. And I guess I want to testify of God's steadfast love to her in her life. Um, You know, one of those songs that we just sang, the running one, Jalen, I don't know if you can help me with the words, but it talks about like, my race is short now, I don't have to wait much longer. Well, my mom's been, she would like to be in heaven already. She thinks her race is already too long, which is just the opposite of a Christian, you know. And, but God knows, God has each of our lives in our hands, and we, we can't choose, my mom can't choose, Christian couldn't choose. It was just God's timing. But I want to testify the faithfulness of my mom's life because even at 92, you know, she, um, uh, at at Easter, they had like an activity in the independent living. And it was some outside Bible teacher was gonna come in for Easter, a Bible study. So they went. (laughs) I mean, mom said there were about five people there and it was basically she said a movie review of the passion of christ um all the guy talked about was that movie and he never asked their names he never asked i mean so they my mom kind of didn't stomp out of there but um walked out of there with another lady and the other resident said we can do better than that (laughs) and and my mom said yeah and and that other lady said, I'm no good at leading a study, but I can sure gather, gather people up, organize it. And my mom, who has been you know teaching in the church, she's 92, she was, well, I can lead it. So um, the two of them, so what, was, what impressed me about that was um, even at 92, God still has something for us to do. Uh, those verses after you know, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, those famous verses, and the verses that follow says, God has prepared for us ahead of time, good works to do. And so even at 92, I'm just so inspired by her, because um, I'm going to turn 66 this week. And um, and then I think of that, that song about running, and I think, I don't want to live another 30 years like my mom, you know, to reach 92, I don't want to do that either. but we don't get to choose, and we run the race put before us, and we do the works that God has put in front of us. And so as we come back now, the, last, the interim is done, um, I'm praying that God will show me what my next work is to do. Because um, I'm, not, I'm not done yet. Like that, that verse, that song about running, I won't run, but uh, I'll walk, but, um, uh, but I'm ready.
0: Let's say it again. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let's have one more person share. Somebody be willing to do that.
9: Alright, uh, uh, my story, it, it started, well, long ago. I was a Christian. I became a Christian through the Iwana clubs when I was really little. Well, probably eight. But anyway, uh, when I was 17, I had a car accident, and that really tested me. It, it really tested my family. It, um, See, I, before, uh, before I got in the cracks and I was a hockey player and though it's not bad to play hockey, just the influences of all the people that uh, my teammates and everything, all the activities that went into uh, preparing and training and stuff, I didn't, didn't listen to the best music, didn't have the best people going uh doing all that uh practice with and whatever um but i i once i was in the car accident and uh i j- just uh uh 20 going this month it'll be 23 years ago so uh I just know that um, because I was in that car accident I ended up having to stick around stay close to home uh, and it, it really uh, just just the the um, knowing that um, I just the influence of the people I had a lot of people praying for me that that, that I would survive, and I'd, and because I had to stay close to home, I met my wife, who um, who started coming here about four years after the car accident, and um, because of that, I have three beautiful kids, and. And yeah, I know my uh, my race is not over, um, like Christian who lived two and a half years, Lynn's mom who's ninety two, and I I'll be forty this month, and I know that that God's sovereignty, God God works out everything for good, and I'm finding what's good
0: uh, in my life. Let's say it again. We thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Well, thanks to, thanks to each one that, that shared your story. Uh, God's steadfast love endures forever, and that's a truth, but a truth that that is connected and shown to be true through these stories that we've heard. And there's more stories. I know we've got more. We all have one. Um, Lunch across the hall after church is a great time to continue telling those stories, and something that we always ought to be looking for each and every day. We'll conclude our time this morning by by reading the conclusion given in Psalm 107 right after those specific four stories were were proclaimed. So this is starting in verse 33. Speaking about God, it says he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Because of the evil of its inhabitants, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. And then here's the overarching conclusion, verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So, what we see in the stories here in Scripture, what we see as we listen to uh, stories from one another here, God uses every situation to draw people to Himself. Some of them are kind of listed at the end there. Rivers are made into deserts, springs into thirsty ground, that people might be drawn to God. And the flip side of that, deserts are made into pools of water, parched lands into springs in order that the delivered might extol God and praise him and and speak about his steadfast love in their lives. So through whatever transpires in each of our lives, God's steadfast love is there. That's why it's steadfast. It's there and it's put on display. and, And as verse 43 says, those who are wise will consider that reality and i believe the assumption is not just to consider god's love not to just think about it and say oh that's nice but but to do what these four stories have done to do what we've been doing this morning to cry out to the lord when we're in whatever the situation is and then when he does respond and when he does deliver us to thank him by proclaiming his love by speaking of his goodness when we're together here is one of those times, but in the coffee shops and cubicles and waiting in the line at school, anywhere, anywhere that we are, proclaiming God's steadfast love, specifically as we've seen it on display in our lives. Stories are powerful things, and God speaks to us through stories here in his word, no doubt but he speaks through our own stories as well, as those reflect the truths that we see in Scripture. So we need to proclaim it. As verse 2 says, the redeemed of the Lord need to say so. So let's stand together and continue to give thanks to God for his steadfast love. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so thankful for how you work we, c- we can consider your wonderful works among the children of man, and the reason we can consider those is because we see them. They are proclaimed before us. Thank you for how you've worked in the life of each person that shared this morning, how you're continuing to work in their lives. God, I thank you how you've worked in the lives of all those that didn't share this morning as well. We, we all have ways that we've seen it. God, may we reflect on that, give you the glory that you deserve, and, and proclaim your steadfast love that all might hear it. Our, our story is has purpose to it, and part of that purpose is to is to proclaim it to those who will listen. So God, we thank you that when we call out to you, that you are there, and that you don't just hear us, but that you respond to us you give us what we need. We're thankful that that is the God that you are. Scripture declares it, but we also see it. And we're so thankful for that. And God, as we continue to worship you now through these closing songs, may we not just be worshiping because the words are on the screen and we're singing them, but may we be worshiping out of our own story and how we've seen your love on display through what you've done in each of our lives. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen.